Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. moments once again just recapping on some of the things we've been talking about you know that we're in a series we're on a theme and we've been on it for quite a while why is that is that because I am uncreative and just there's nothing else that's you know I believe that sometimes we go through seasons sometimes it takes us a while to really catch what God is saying and to get into the flow and this is why I I don't often preach one-off messages generally it'll be a theme that we're working through And who can tell us what the overarching theme is of the season we're in at the moment? You have no idea how encouraging you people are on a Sunday morning. We are rediscovering the gospel. We clearly haven't rediscovered it yet. We are rediscovering the gospel, the message of the gospel, not just the message that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so you can be saved, but the essence of the message and how we are to live that message out, how God has empowered us to do so by His Holy Spirit. You see, Paul said that the message or the gospel is what? It's the power of God unto salvation. All of you are here this morning and are saved and you are born again because you heard a word that had power to put faith into your heart, to believe something that caused you to act in a certain way, that caused a shift in your own heart and mind and in so doing ushered in a shift in your life. We've said things over the past few weeks like this. Every engagement with God is an encounter with power. Every time you pray, every time, because God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And as you know, we're dealing in the sub-theme now just to make things even more complicated. No wonder you're confused of living a naturally supernatural life, being engaged with God. And as we engage with God, He is a naturally supernatural God, and He enables us to live life from the overflow of who He is. We've said things like God has never done anything supernatural because supernatural things are very natural to Him. They're supernatural to us, but to God, these supernatural things are very easy. They're not difficult to do. And when God begins to speak into a situation, things begin to happen and things begin to change. Whether that is your heart, whether that is your relationship, your circumstances, whatever it may be, when God begins to speak and we hear His words into a situation or over something, that we we are illuminated and empowered to bring about change in that situation. A couple of weeks ago, I had... Uh, what I would call it is a prophetic impression. And the Lord said to me that there is a unique and very special spiritual recipe that makes up the life and purpose of this spiritual family. You know, and what he means by that is that each and every one of you is a key and a core ingredient that will shape the experience and enhance the life of this spiritual family. If you think of a dish that is made by a three Michelin star chef, that is beautifully put together. Every ingredient in that dish is considered carefully. It is put together meticulously. And every part of that dish is important. Maybe some people around us are the salt. Salt is not really any good on its own. But when salt is added to a dish, it enhances everything else around us. Some people in our midst, or sometimes people that we know, they just seem salty. But what do they do? They are such a gift to us because they enhance everything else in us. Others are the flower that is placed on top of the dish that is aesthetically pleasing. It rounds off the dish. You know, they say you eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth. Some of us are the flower. Some of us think we are the flower. Actually, we're still the kernel of wheat that needs to be grounded down into flour. But every part is important. And I want to say the realization that I really, I believe God is is wanting to inculcate into our hearts in this time and season is that every one of us carries a gift, every one of us is a gift, and every one of us is an essential ingredient to what God is doing in the life of this spiritual family. Who you are and what you carry 
are important. And they are valuable. And you need to know that God values who you are and what you carry. The spiritual family values who you are and what you carry. And my real prayer is that you would value who you are and what you carry. Because only when you believe that you have something of value to bring do you make a contribution. If you don't believe your contribution is of any value, why would you bring it? You wouldn't. This is why one of the things the enemy goes after more than anything else is your identity. He wants you to believe that you're not good enough, that you're not able. And you know what, in some senses, he's right. <laughs> Michael, you're contradicting yourself. No, I'm not. Because our value and our worth are not found in what the world thinks we are or even in our gifts or our abilities. Our value and our worth is found in the person of Jesus Christ because He was the price that was paid for you and for me. And the gift that we carry is not measured by our stature or our ability or our natural giftedness. The gift that we carry is the very person of the Holy Spirit who chooses to manifest Himself in many wondrous and different ways through different people at different times for the sake of the blessing of the whole body. You, therefore, are a valued and a valuable carrier of the gift. We came up with our confession last week. Can you remember what it is? I am a gifted gift given. I am a gifted gift given to my fellowship, to my home, to my church, to my family, to my workplace, to my school. And last week we looked at a portion of Scripture where Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And he said to them, goodness gracious me, it's cold. Maybe we should close some doors. Now, I don't know if that's really in the Bible, but do I have an amen? Please, Liam. It is chilly. I can feel the breeze from here. I don't know what the folks at the back of the church are feeling, but there is quite a breeze and it is cold. All right. And Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said to them, concerning spiritual gifts, in other words, the gift that you are, the gift that you carry, and the gift that the Holy Spirit causes to come alive and work in and through you, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. So, in other words, I don't want you to not know that the Holy Spirit in you wants to make gifts come alive in you for the blessing of other people. You need to know about that. You need to know that that's a reality. In verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each is every single one. Put up your hand and say, that includes me. I'm sorry, I didn't see all hands go up and I didn't hear all lips moving. That includes me. Amen. Each one. Verse 11, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so there is this expectation that Paul is, is creating, that God is creating in and among us, that each one, that means you and that means me, has the capacity to receive an, a gift, a special gift, an unction from the Holy Spirit to do something that is not necessarily a natural thing, that takes us out of our comfort zone, that maybe speaks a word that unlocks something in somebody's life. In the, later in the same book, in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So not only does Paul want us not to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, he calls us to embrace a mindset and an attitude that earnestly desires them. And I think for most of us, this is the area of our heart that needs shifting and that needs correction. Because God has not told us to tolerate spiritual gifts. He's told us, each one, not just the pastor, not just the guy who leads the prayer meeting, each one to pursue these things. Each one to go after these things. Now, we would never go after that which we didn't believe was possible for us. And this is the shift that I believe God is really wanting to inculcate deep into our hearts. It is possible for each and every one to flow in the gifts and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That is what the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for. Which means within you dwells the giver of all the gifts. And you will certainly most have a propensity more to one than to others because of who you are and because of your makeup. But all of these things come by that Holy Spirit as He wills. But you know what the other part of that 
that is not written in the letter, but is certainly implied, it says, we will too. If we do not will to walk in these things, we will not experience them. That's why he says, desire them. Desire them. If we do not desire them, if we take the, or let me put it to you this way, if we take the stance of saying, I don't want to engage in that, that's for other people, I'm okay in, in me and I'm okay with and for myself, that is a very selfish and a very self-centered mindset to have. Because it means I don't want to be used for the blessing and the benefit of the body. I'm happy to receive the gifts of others. You know, if we have a prophetic ministry, people stand in line to come and hear a prophetic word from God. And that's great. But you know what? God can work through you and speak through you in just the same way. And I really pray that we, we, we believe that. And I want to say to you that I cannot, and we uh, realistically, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, teach in depth on all of these subjects and give room to really teach people and teach individuals how to flow in these things. We give room for that on a Sunday for those who know how, and we obviously will give room for the Holy Spirit as unction comes and as He leads us. But I want to say to you, come to our Tuesday night prayer meetings. Because that is a place in which not only are these things already in operation week by week, but it's a place in which we can learn and grow and learn how to express ourselves and learn how to flow in these gifts of the Spirit. If God is truly speaking to your heart and a desire is rising up within you that you know is from Him, make the uncomfortable step and come and join us. And come and see and come and experience the flow of the Holy Spirit as we flow together in worship and in prayer on a Tuesday night. Now, I want to spend the bulk of today looking at a familiar story from the book of John. Um, and I want to highlight to you the power that a single word of knowledge can have. You see, the gifts of the Spirit, there's, there's nine of them listed in 1 Corinthians 12. You've got the power gifts, you've got your gifts of healings, gifts workings of miracles, supernatural faith, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, gift of prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discernment of spirits. Thank you. You see, this is why we need each other. And this story to me is a familiar story, and I'm going to jump into it in a moment. And in this story, we don't see Jesus healing anybody. We don't see Jesus performing any miracles. All we see Jesus doing is having a conversation that turns an entire village upside down. Because of one word of knowledge that came from the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now, before I tell the story and before we get into this, I want to bring to you this word, unction. Can you say it with me, please? Unction. So, have any of you ever gone through life using a word and being fully convinced of its meaning and only later on finding out that you either had it all wrong or you only understood a very narrow part of it? Okay, okay, fine. Well, that was me concerning the word unction, and my mind was blown yesterday morning as I gathered with a group of people, and we're leading worship, and we are praying, and we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about being led by the Spirit. The word unction for me is usually associated with that. You have an unction, and the way I understood unction, and have always understood unction, is probably, let, let's put this to the test. <laughs> How would you define the word unction? Now, don't be bashful. It's Mother's Day. How would you, what would you say an unction is? A feeling? Anybody else? A prompting? Very good. Let's take one more. Don't you start. You're being fed there. You are being fed. Yes, a desire to do something, a feeling, a prompting, you're all correct. That is the way that I understood the word unction. But there's a whole lot more to this word that I didn't know. And yesterday I discovered it, and I'm still kind of processing it all, especially in relation to what we're talking about yet. Let me read to you what, how the, uh, the dictionary defines the word unction. It is an act of anointing, especially as a medical treatment or religious rite. Yeah, don't look at me so confused. I was also like, what? Have I spelt this correctly? 
Yes, it is the right word. It is an act of anointing, so as you would in a medical function with ointment or in a religious function. Let me read you another definition. An excessive, affected, sometimes cloying earnestness of fervor in manner, especially in speaking. Okay, now I need a dictionary to explain all those words to you. Let's make it more simple. Another definition, it is the manifestation of spiritual or religious inspiration. And that kind of ties together what we all thought it was. But there is this idea of anointing which is associated with the word which really caught my attention. Anointing. Anointing has the idea of God's empowerment, right? It has the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose or a specific thing to do. So I would say to us that that anointing produces in us unction to action. God's anointing, God's Holy Spirit in us, produces us in us an unction or the manifestation of religious inspiration or spiritual inspiration. Some other synonyms are faith or passion or oil or enthusiasm or ointment. And this is how we learn to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, by learning to recognize and act upon the unction of the Holy Spirit. Because we need to remember that at the heart of this, this is a foundational, a, a, a relational anointing. The anointing of God is a relational anointing. It is endowment with His power and gifts and abilities through the person of the Holy Spirit. So when I say to you, unction, and I begin to think back on that day when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I began speaking in other tongues. I couldn't explain what was going on inside me, but that was unction. Or that moment where you feel like, I wonder why so-and-so, why has Frank come to my mind today? Let me give him a phone call and see how he's doing. I haven't spoken to him in months. Hi, Frank, how are you? Oh, we're doing, oh, you know, I just had you on my mind today. And he says, you know, funny you called, because this is going on in my life right now. Or that unction to go and pray for somebody and share a word with them. Or something that's going on within you that you know is just not from you, but that you feel the need to act upon it. Generally, that unction makes no natural sense. Would you agree with me? It makes no natural sense. You know why? Because it's not a natural unction. Your tummy rumbling, as is going to happen probably in about an hour's time for Mother's Day lunch, that's a natural unction. We're talking about a spirit rumbling. In the same way that your tummy rumbles and there's a noise and you can just sense there's something going on in there. This is how God begins to lead us. And I just really wanted to share that word with you before we jumped into our message, to ponder on it. Unction. A nudge. Sometimes my wife will give me an unction. She'll just look at me and she'll go, it's an unction. You don't know what she means. I know exactly what she means. And that's how the Holy Spirit is with you and I. Right, now, let's look at some unction played out. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 4. Have we, are we going to have it all up this morning? Fantastic. Never mind. Leave your Bible where it is. We'll put it up for you. You are welcome. This is how we serve. And we're going to read a long portion of Scripture this morning. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, and it says this. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. So basically what's happening here is the heat was being turned up on Jesus. And the Pharisees were wondering, who is this rogue preacher that's going and baptizing people. We already knew about John the Baptist. This guy's baptizing even more people than him. And so Jesus, sensing that this heat is coming, he withdraws from that area. And it says, he had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan, to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. 
And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So let me just pause there and just bring a little bit of context to you so that you understand the significance of this. Samaritans had similarities to the Jews in that they believed and they received and they, they, um, they believed in, I suppose, uh, my words are failing me at the moment, in the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books that Moses wrote. They received those and as holy scripture, but they rejected all the rest. So none of the prophets, David, none of those things. That is what their faith was based upon. They also believed that Moses uh, erected a, a, an altar, a place of worship on this mount where they were. They called it the Mount of Blessing. It has an official name. We'll get to it just now in the reading. But basically, we need to understand that these guys served God, and they, but they served Him in their own ways, their estimation of what was good and what was right. They rejected a lot of the things that God had put forward. So the first thing we need to understand is that these Samaritans were different, and because of this, and, and the heightened sense of religiosity at the time and in the culture, they were certainly rejected and hated by the Jews. And certainly they rejected and hated the Jews. Because each one felt their way was better. They both identified with God, they both identified with Moses, but there was stark contrast in their beliefs, in their denominations, if you like. And so the one hated the other. The other thing that we need to take note of here is the time of day. People did not go and draw water at noon. That was done in groups in the morning, in the cool of the day. They would go to the well, they would draw their water and take it back to the household for the day. Again, if they needed more, they would go late afternoon. And like I said, the ladies would normally go in parties. They would go together. This woman was all alone in the middle of the day because she was shunned and she was rejected. You see, she was unclean. She was, she, she was living with and sleeping with a man who was not her husband. She'd been divorced so many times. This woman was, in our phraseology, used goods, damaged goods. And therefore, she was unclean. She was to be rejected. And so she couldn't go to the well with all the other women. They wouldn't receive her. They would reject her. They wouldn't allow her to go with them. So she was there all alone in the heat of the day to go and draw water. And not only that, here we have Jesus by himself with a woman, which was unheard of in those days. Women and men, unless they were courting, unless they were married, were never alone together. That was immodest. And so here, when we look at the story, we need to understand we have a trifecta of things going on here which demonstrate why this is such a peculiar story, such a powerful story, because Jesus should not, for all intents and purposes, have ever found himself in a situation where he was, number one, with a Samaritan, never mind a Samaritan, a woman, and never mind a woman, an unclean woman, who had been rejected, not just by the Jews, but by her very own people, a Samaritan, as unclean. So we pick it up as we continue with verse 9. And this woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She knew this was out of sorts. This was not ordinary. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now let's just stop here for a moment. Jesus knew things that this woman did not, clearly. And as a result, she, sorry, Jesus also knew things this woman could not know, being a Samaritan and not knowing who he truly was. And I want to say to you this morning that as a result of your relationship with God, when it comes to you interacting with the world around you, there are things that you know that unbelievers around you don't know and that they could not know because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They don't know the love, the peace that you have received in your heart. 
They don't know the confidence and the hope that you have in Him, nor can they know. They don't live in that way. There's no frame of reference for that because it supersedes natural circumstances and understanding. And so here we see this woman continuing. So can you draw me water? She says, why are you asking me for water? And he says to her, you know, I can give you living water. That seems to make no sense. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said to him. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And so here we see something. We see, not a, we see misunderstanding that leads to offense. Misunderstanding that leads to offense. Have you ever had that happen when you try and share with somebody? <laughs> misunderstanding. They don't get what you get. They don't understand what you understand. They don't have the same point of reference nor the same experience with the living God that you have. And as a result of the misunderstanding, offense. You Christians just think you're better than everybody else. You think you're so righteous. You think you've got all the answers. Well, she was talking to the one who literally was so righteous and literally had all the answers. In fact, he was the answer. But yet because of a misunderstanding, you can see, you think you're greater than Jacob who dug this well. Who are you? She's offended at him and the comments he made. But Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst, be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You see, despite Jesus elaborating a little, what he is saying still seems cryptic. Let's be honest, it still seems cryptic to us. And we are looking at it from the, from the other perspective as the enlightened ones. Jesus was speaking spiritual truths to a natural mind. And there was a conflict. Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's another place in the Bible that says that, that the people of this world do not receive the things of God, nor can they, for they are carnally minded. They're not spiritually minded. And this is the battle that Jesus is engaged in now. He's trying to convey spiritual truth, bring about a revelation to somebody who is caught up in very natural thinking, and the analogy is crossing with this, and it seems, seems to create even more confusion and produce even more questioning, which makes you sort of wonder, maybe he was doing that on purpose. I like to think he was. But the fact is that what Jesus was saying wasn't getting through to her. And sometimes when you and I try to do things well-intended, try to speak words well-intended to share the love and the nature of God with somebody else, the promises of God with somebody else, they're well-intended, it's not getting through. It doesn't get through. It doesn't seem to land. It doesn't seem to change someone's heart, their mind, their perception at all. It seems to bounce off as something irrelevant, as something not even sense that doesn't even make sense, nonsensical. There are things that maybe just aren't ever going to get through by a good explanation. It's going to require something more. Maybe you're in a situation where you're not even trying to explain things to people. You're not even trying to share the love of God because you know <laughs> that mind is going to reject them. You know already. But this is where Jesus pivots. That's a big word these days. When something in this way isn't working, you pivot and you try something else. In business, that's one of the buzz phrase, phrases. And what he does is he changes his approach by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Say unction. We have it again. And in this moment where Jesus realizes with, that he's not getting through, without trying to follow any kind of train of thought, he completely pivots and he says to this woman, go and get your husband. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, replied the woman. All true, all right, and most probably spoken with a measure of indignation. Go and get my husband. I don't have a husband. To which Jesus replies, you're right, you don't have a husband. 
You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You sp certainly spoke the truth. Wait a second. Wait a second. How did you know that? Who are you, really? And who have you been talking to? Have you heard about me? This is her next, her next comments say, Sir, or Jesus says, Sir, oh, Sir, said the woman, you must be a prophet. She recognized that this knowledge about her past wasn't something natural. How on earth could this Jew, all alone at a well in the middle of the day, so out of place, know me and my past at this well? So tell me, she says, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? And Jesus replied and said to her, Dear woman, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while the Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. You see, Jesus here didn't mince his words. He didn't mind telling this woman that she was wrong. He didn't mind associating himself clearly as a Jew. But he doesn't leave it there. You see, Jesus, folks, is not trying here to win an argument. He's not trying to prove or to make a point. He's trying to win a heart. Verse 23, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Other translation says, I am he. And again, just the significance of the statement should not be lost on us. This unclean Samaritan woman is the first person Jesus reveals himself to as the Messiah. Who would have chosen that one? Jesus did. Not only that, he did so in words that she would recognize. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and sent him to Pharaoh, and Moses said, Who shall I say is sending me? What did God say? I am that I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And so Jesus says to this woman, That Messiah you've been waiting for, I am he. Oh, it's powerful. Now, as this happens, the disciples came back. They were shocked. You see, that they were shocked, shocked, not surprised, shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what did you want with her? Or why were you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? In a moment... Her perce their perception of her was inconsequential. She knew she was rejected. She knew where she fitted in within the scope of society. But that woman dropped her jar. She even left her water jars back at the well. She ran into the village and she told everyone what had just happened. She didn't walk. She ran. Something had come upon her. You could say it was an unction. Verse 30, so, in other words, as a result of this, the people came streaming from the village to see him. She drew people to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus replied, I have the, a kind of food that you know nothing about. And here we go all cryptic again. someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. I bet you Peter was like, I knew he was stashing bar ones. I knew it. 
He was hoarding the bar ones. You guys go, I don't want to share. Yeah, we know what he's been up to. And Jesus explained, again, it's like he's being cryptic. He's trying to communicate spiritual truth to natural minds. Folks, we cannot receive nor convey the powerful truths of the Holy Spirit with our natural mind. No matter how much we study, no matter how much we give ourselves to it, it requires the person and the breath of the Holy Spirit. When you read the Word of God and you're just trying to understand it with your mind, hey, you'll find out some interesting things. But there comes a time where that word begins to breathe inside of you. It begins to cause an unction to come inside of you. And then there is life in that word. Then there is power in that word. And when that word is put to action, faith is present. You don't need to try for faith. You don't need to try and confess and believe to work up faith. When God's word is there, there is faith. Romans ten seventeen. So that faith comes by hearing and hearing Hearing, that hearing, that unction of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God, that Word that is spoken. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing His work. And He goes on to explain, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is the people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? What joy awaits? In other words, when you and I stand before the judgment seat of God, what joy will await you as you have been faithful in sowing the word of God into the lives of those around you and reaping souls for the kingdom of God? There are special blessings and special rewards assigned for those who have given themselves to that purpose. He goes on to say, you know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed Jesus, or believed in Jesus, because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. What is it that made them believe? I want to tell you, it wasn't the woman. It was the word of knowledge that the woman had received. Why did they believe this woman? Because she said, he told me everything I ever did. One word of knowledge spoken to one very unlikely person. Do you get this? A very small seed. But it opened up an entire village. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. I wonder how the disciples felt about that. Long enough for many to hear his message and believe. They said to the woman, Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. Her testimony led them into a personal experience of the person and the power of, of God in Jesus Christ. One simple unction followed through on. That led to another big unction followed through on. Folks, God tends to choose people that we would least expect. Forgive me, but that is why He chose you. And that is why He chose me. I have to be honest, I do get a kick out of meeting people I haven't seen in many years. And finally the question comes up, He says, what do you do for a living? Depends, depends on the day, depends how much I want to stir, but generally it will be something like, I'm in ministry now, or I'm a pastor. A what? <laughs> I went, I don't know if you know that many years ago, I used to work in a pub. An Irish pub. And I can still pour you a Guinness with a shamrock on the top. And years later, I went to the pub. And the boss, in fact, they'd sold the pub, 
and then whoever was running the pub was running it into the ground. So they brought it back, and they were fixing it up, and I'd, I'd heard that they were back in there. So one day I popped in just to say hello. I was in the area, so I popped in, and I, uh, I saw her daughter. And uh, she took me to the back where the boss and her husband were sitting. And, oh, yeah, nice to see you. And they spoke for a little while. And, what are you doing with yourself now? Where are you? I said, no, I'm, I'm in ministry. What? I'm a pastor. You! She sat back and looked at me and she said, yeah, you'd make a good pastor. <laughs> God uses people we would least expect. <laughs> Reminded of another time when I was shopping. A friend of ours was in the queue behind and as I paid for my goods, I was leaving. I greeted her and said hello. And behind her was a woman that used to attend the church that I used to go to many years ago. And she says, is that Michael Morris? To, my, to the friend afterwards, after I'd now left, she says to my friend, is that Michael Morris? Said, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, really? But what, did you, she, 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 she calls me Master Pastor. So she said, hi, Master Pastor. So um, she says, did you call him Pastor? Yes, he's Pastor. Oh, he was a naughty boy back then. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I don't know what she's... Ref I don't know what she knows. <laughs> I didn't consider myself to be all that naughty back then in those days. But the point is that God can use the most unlikely person. And let me say to you, if He can use me, He can use you. And not only that, He wants to use you. I want to read to you the words of a song called Woman at the Well. It's by a lady called Olivia Lane. I was we could actually play it now. I, I am prepared to do this because the power was going to be out. Let me read it to you anyways, rather than try and stir, stir the pot too much. You see, this untouchable, somewhat invisible, and somewhat disregarded woman in Samaria, her life was changed because in a moment, despite everything she had become accustomed to before, she was seen by Jesus. And he saw her in truth. He saw her for who she really was and yet loved her in spite of it and was able to communicate that through his words and through his actions. Here's a lady, Olivia Jane, who's written a song and she says this. This is the words to the song. I heard a story from the Bible when I was just a little girl about a broken-hearted woman who met the Savior of the world. Thought it was just another story, one that the preacher man would read. But as I'm sitting here at home, drinking red wine all alone, I think that woman might be me. Because tonight I feel just like the woman at the well, wondering how someone could love me when I can't love myself. But you want me as I am, and that sounds crazy. I guess that's why, I guess maybe that's why grace is so amazing. Staring at that empty bottle, I swear I caught a glimpse of him. He met me right there at the bottom and turned that wine to living water and taught me how to live again. I'm not advocating this as a method to meet Jesus. Tonight I feel just like the woman at the well wondering how someone could love me when I can't love myself. But you want me as I am and that sounds crazy. I guess maybe that's just why grace is so amazing. It's no longer just a story when I read it because I've seen him for myself and I believe it. Just like the story from the Bible I heard when I was just a girl, I'm the broken-hearted woman who met the Savior of the world. We live in a day and age where there are people around us who feel invisible, insignificant, disregarded, And they put on a brave face, but they're brokenhearted. And they come in all shapes, all sizes, all colors, all cultures. These days, all genders, and that means a whole new thing too. And Jesus loves them, each and every one. And maybe you do too. I believe you do too. 
But you know they're trying to convey spiritual truths to some that you know well. Some that are in your workplace, maybe in your family, will most likely produce either confusion or offense, maybe both. I want to say to you this morning, Jesus did not hurl truth at us to show us how wrong we are or to prove that He was right. He didn't come to win an argument. He didn't come to make a point, to show us who He was. He was not satisfied with just making a point at the expense of a soul. God forgive us when we are satisfied with being right, winning an argument, and proving a point at the expense of a soul. God forgive us. Because that is the antithesis of the heart of the Father. Jesus came to love. He came to speak life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the light of that love and of that power still dispels darkness today. And you and I carry that light and that love within us. Do you believe it this morning, my brother and my sister? Do you really believe it? That you carry the light and the love that can brighten up the darkness of someone else's soul within you? Do you believe that through you, God could speak words that rips a soul out of hell and delivers it into the kingdom of, this, of, of light? God has given you and I the privilege of being that to others by the power of His Holy Spirit. And only three things are needed. Number one, we need to believe that God's supernatural power can work through us. And this is my prayer in this time and season, that each one of us has a change of heart and thinking where so often we relegate those things to those who are called into the ministry or who carry a title like pastor or evangelist or prophet or who work full-time in the church environment. No, God can and desires to work in and through you, each one. The first thing we need to do is simply believe that. And that's why I ask you, do you really believe it? Do you really, in your heart, believe it? Number two, we need a desire to walk in the power of God. You see, believing it is not enough. Believing it says, okay, it's possible, but I'm not really planning or planning to engage with it in any way. Whereas, when we go to step number two, it says, all right, God, not only do I believe it's possible, but I'm presenting myself to you to say, Lord, use me. I desire to be used. And the third thing that is necessary is simply to let it out. It's to follow the unction. Whether that be a word of prophecy, whether that be a word of knowledge or of wisdom. And like I said, I'm not going to go into the details of what those all are and how they work. I want to just really keep it as simple as this. The leading of the Holy Spirit within you, that unction that comes, whether it's to call somebody, to pray for somebody, to speak a word, or you've seen a vision or you had a dream or you have an impression concerning somebody's life that you believe is from the Lord, not to keep it quiet, but to speak it out. I shared with the guys this, this morning as we were praying. I heard an analogy this week that really resonated with my heart. And it happened to us in the car on the way to church this morning. As we were driving to church, one of my children, I can't remember which one it was, said, what's that smell? It wasn't me. Nor was it anybody in the car. But what happened immediately after that question was everybody went to figure out what that smell was. Was the smell there before we smelt it? Yes. One person sensed the smell and asked the question, what is that smell? And suddenly, everyone's awareness to what was going on was heightened. You've probably had it. You're sitting in a restaurant. There's music playing in the background, and the person sitting with you says, oh, I love this song. And you, had, you, you, were completely, you know there's noise in the background, but you weren't really tuned into the song. And you suddenly listen, and you go, oh, okay, that song. What happened? It was just a heightened awareness to what was going on. Folks, God is on the move. God is speaking. God is working. 
not just in your life, but in the people around you's lives as well. And sometimes our unction is simply to heighten the awareness of what God is doing already. We need to demystify these things. God never asked you to heal anybody. He did ask you to pray for people to be healed. <laughs> I hope very soon to introduce to you that little girl that I went to go pray for a few weeks ago. I had a meeting with her mother a couple of weeks ago, and she's saying her son can't wait to meet me. I said, why? He says, I want to meet the man who saved my sister. I was like, wait a minute. I did nothing. I did not save your sister. But something is happening there. Because something happened in that person's, that little young person's life where he saw something change. God is working. That boy has a heightened awareness of the power of God. I want to say to you all, as you come to our Sunday gatherings, as you come to our Tuesday evening gathering, you cannot, there is this real sense that God is up to something fresh and He's breathing something powerful and gracious in you. He is up to something. And I want to heighten the awareness of that. And I want to invite you all into it. Please don't stay away. Please come and join us. Please come and be a part of it and experience it. But I also want to say to you, my dear beloved one, you are a gifted gift giver. You carry the light of the Spirit of God wherever you go. And all He wants you to do is to follow the unctions of His Spirit. The more we get to know Him, the closer we draw to Him, the more we know the Word, the more sensitive we will be to those unctions. But I want to say to you, listen, if God is as big as we say He is, hearing Him shouldn't be hard. I have more confidence in God's ability to make Himself heard than I do in my ability to hear Him. Only thing I need to settle in my heart is that I will be obedient when I hear Him speak. Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.